You're listening to From the Clubhouse, a National Club Golfer podcast. It has been a tumultuous first year in charge of England golf for Chief Executive Jeremy Tomlinson. Within weeks of officially taking over the reins at Woodall Spa last January, the coronavirus pandemic swamped the nation and the governing body have been dealing with its effects ever since. Add in the introduction of the World Handicap System, one of the most significant changes to club golf in decades, and it has been all hands to the pump for Tomlinson over the past 12 months. There have been highs, membership numbers have soared following a surge in interest in the sport, and golf has been widely praised for the way it has conducted itself as restrictions have been eased and tightened again. So in a wide-ranging interview for the From the Clubhouse podcast, I sat down with Jeremy to talk about the current situation, WHS, how golf can maintain its newly won popularity, and what England golf are doing to bring casual players into the fold. Jeremy, welcome to the From the Clubhouse podcast. Hi, Steve. How are you? I'm very good. Thanks for joining me. Uh, As we talk, um, we're currently in the middle of our third COVID-19 lockdown. Obviously, uh, English clubs shut again. Um, Clearly, that was uh, a decision that disappointed England golf, and you pledged to keep the fight going to try and make the case to government for reopening them. Where are we at the moment with that? Well, where we are... well. You don't mind if I, if I could start by saying, obviously, my, my, myself, everybody in England golf, and I'm sure all, all golfers in England do respect the government decision. We, we understood, we could see the news, we could see the things building, we could see the pandemic coming out of control. So, you know, we very much respect that decision. We, we, uh, we want to be part of the, uh, to support, uh, obviously, um, defending uh, the nation's health and, and, and obviously, um, trying to do all we can to to uh, to look after our health service and obviously the vaccination rollout. We were disappointed, of course, that golf was shut because we've been working very hard in the background throughout the whole of last year, trying to get golf reclassified. Really, along the likes of uh, along uh, alongside running and walking and cycling uh, as a great exercise uh, and as well as being a, a great sport. So we were disappointed there um, that we weren't classified in that right and allowed to stay open. We felt that we had justified um, good, safe comeback through the year. Not only we'd shown a pathway, but we delivered upon it. But we were disappointed about that. And also disappointed that uh, we had also been promised that uh, if there was going to be another lockdown, that we would be spoken to um, ahead of time, just, just to allow us to, 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 to prep the message for all golfers. Now, I hasten to add being spoken to. We weren't asking for permission or anything or being looked to for permission. But it was something that, again, we, we found out at the last minute. And uh, it was, that was, again, just a bit of a shame because we, we had made such good inroads in Parliament with regard to the way that golf was being spoken about. Was it something of a surprise that we'd had the announcement earlier in the day um, where Scotland had taken um, a different path? And, and as you quite rightly said, there was some confidence, wasn't there, when the case for golf was put by obviously the industry bodies and the old parliamentary group that, that golf might be able to avoid this situation again so was it a surprise when you when you heard that, that clubs had to close I'm not sure that it was a surprise it was definitely a disappointment and 
to be fair, you know, as opposed to, you know, I looked up in Scotland and, and I saw what was happening up there. And that was very much one where I, you know, and Nicola Sturgeon had, she had, in, if anything, been stricter than our own prime, than, you know, certainly than Boris had been. So that was a, that was a little bit of a surprise that they were still allowed to be open, but fair play to Scottish golf. They were able to achieve, unfortunately, what, what we weren't. And that was that reclassification of golf. So, um, yeah, just disappointing. What, what is the contact at the moment between um, the industry bodies, uh, including yourselves and the DCMS? Are, are you still talking on a semi-regular basis? Yeah, I, I don't think it's actually a semi-regular. It's, it's a regular basis. We speak every week, um, whether that's myself directly with, with DCMS or Craig Tracy, of course, who is uh, chairman of the, the parliamentary group an MP in his own right, of course, and, and he, has, he has his own uh, conversations with his party and, and, and ministers. So uh, yeah, all the time we, we have those regular conversations. And if anybody um, ever gets to see the transcripts, whether it be through the House of Commons or the House of Lords, they will see that on a daily basis, the, uh, the subject of golf or questioning about golf is, is, are being brought up. Is it still um, a possibility, do you think, to see uh, golf clubs reopen before lockdown ends or considering the sheer number of cases that we're seeing now hospital hospital admissions and obviously very sadly deaths is it is it more important is, is your focus now at this stage on trying to ensure that golf can remain uh, or golf can become one of the first activities that can resume absolutely you know they're not just words we, we truly do support the stay at home now the decision has been made we respect it uh, all our efforts now are, are towards working with government towards a safe return of, of golf when it when it can be when it can return. We don't expect it to come back before before the end of shutdown. We have some differing dates and targets that we we'd like to think that we could uh, we could aim for. But to be honest, that they all revolve around obviously the vaccination rollout and the R number coming down. Ultimately, the pandemic becoming under control. Clearly, uh, England Golf gave their member clubs an awful lot of support during the first lockdown from March until May and then again in November. Um, given that this shutdown appears at the moment to be open-ended, I don't think any of us could um, put a firm idea of when we might be able to return to our golf course again. How are you supporting your affiliated clubs currently through this period? Well, what we're doing, um, we haven't, this time around, we, we didn't furlough any of our staff. So all of our uh, club support officers which we have a frontline team of 20 plus. We have regional managers to support them. They are all readily available for, uh, for any, uh, whether it be general managers or committee members or chairman of golf clubs who need support in any way or whether it's support or signposting the guidance, then, uh, then we're there to help. And, and obviously we, we will be there as we look to, to, to come back to a return to play Obviously, we'll be there to, to be helping all of those clubs with regards to play safe, stay safe. How are they going to come back? How are they going to open their doors again? Um, so really, obviously, at the moment, it's difficult, Steve, because we're a bit, it's, it's more reactive than proactive. We're there. We're, we're ready. We're willing. We're doing a lot of planning for the season for when we're when golf clubs do open again. But in the meantime, if, if anybody at any golf club has any queries, then, then we're there to help. One of the uh, unexpected consequences of COVID, I think, has been this surge in popularity for golf, particularly which we saw um, after May and the um, 
rising number of members that have, that have joined clubs are primarily, I think, because it's been one of the few sports that people have been able to play. How do you think that clubs can develop on what's been a really stellar year in this respect? When, once we come out of the pandemic, retention is going to be the key of these new players. So how can golf clubs go about that and enjoy the bounce that they've had from the new players that have come in over the past few months? Yeah, it's a big subject, Steve, isn't it? Um, who would have thought that the pandemic, which has taken so many of our freedoms away, would have actually have been the very thing that led to a resurgence in golf club membership? But it has done. And, and I think we, need, we all need to keep our feet on the ground, which I think we are. The fact that it wasn't actually our doing, it's come to us. And as you rightfully say, that opportunity has come to us and um, it's going to be up to every golf club and ourselves to support every golf club with regards to trying to make the most of that opportunity. And as you say, you know, there's a lot of people, there's a lot of lapsed golfers, there's a lot of uh, independent golfers that, that need playing rights. Um, and there's new golfers that have come because they can't play their particular sports. So obviously what we need to do is we need to make sure as we, 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 uh, we work through 2021 and other sports open up again and life returns to some sort of normality, we need to make sure that as golf clubs, we retain relevance. We retain a great value proposition, and we re which really will encourage all of those new members to retain their membership. And that's really what, what we can do. I think ultimately I'd be surprised if we don't lose a few, but, um, but I really do think that, that, that golf clubs have this great opportunity and we're gonna do everything we can to support them to really make sure that they put their, their, their great membership proposition forward. It's a really unusual situation, I think, isn't it? Because uh, clubs and, and obviously organisations like yourselves have, um, have toiled away, really, for more than a decade to try and improve membership numbers after the financial crash of, of, of obviously, 2008. And then, and then as, you, as you rightly said yourself, um, these new players have fallen into our laps, in a sense. Um, so what do you think the pandemic has, has, has taught you guys at England Golf about how you can engage golfers? Well, I think it's, it's more, I, I come back to, as opposed to being, I've never been one of these people that felt that, that participation rates were, were, uh, um, were falling at, at, at anything, you know, forever there was a pull on the thread that golf is, is, is dying, that the sport is decreasing with regards to its popularity. I was never one of those people. What I have been, though, is I've been in golf over 30 years, employed in golf for over 30 years. I have watched the, dem the demise certainly over the last decade of membership. And it's, it's very much concerned me. Um, and, and what I think um, we really must do is, 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 is now that we have the, these new members back, we, we really have to, to look at our membership proposition. We certainly have to look at our, the, the green fee levels. I think the biggest demise in, in uh, or devaluation of golf club membership has, has been Low green fees. I think, unfortunately, too many golf clubs have bitten into this cherry of, of a short-term gain of selling some tea times at, at a ridiculously low rate. And I think it's done us no good. I think we need to make sure that we keep green fees at an appropriate level. We look after the membership. We make sure that proposition is a really good value proposition. Um, and we really try to deliver that. Um, um, sorry, going back again, but really try to de deliver value for money for, the, for, for these new golfers. Do you think that's going to require, Jeremy, a culture change among some clubs then? Um, because a lot of this race to the bottom in terms of green fees has been driven by 
what people around them are doing, aren't there? This kind of desire to get people in at all costs. Yes, I do. Um, and, I, and I think um, <clears throat> I have a concern, you know, with a, with a lot of golf clubs. I, I, I think there are some golf clubs that, that are vulnerable. And I think that because whether it's a lack of finances or a lack of resource, that they, they have been open to, as I say, these, these potential short-term short -term gains, as opposed to, to looking and, and building for, for the future and looking to invest and, and, and bring in, you know, whether it's younger members, more diverse members working on their inclusivity. Um, but it's, it's difficult because, you know, we have 1,800 golf clubs throughout our country. It's basically 1,800 small to medium-sized businesses, all with their own set of circumstances. And they're all trying to do their best. But I do think that this is a big wake-up call for some of them. And I think as much as it's a wake-up call, I think it's a great opportunity because we haven't had this situation where playing rights have been so valuable for a long time. And I, and I sincerely hope that we can take care of that and these, these, these clubs can really make sure that they, they work hard at retaining their new members. Which segues very nicely to the next section, I think, because the, the casual golfer was really squeezed this year, what weren't they? Um, they? Some found it very difficult to get tee times as, as clubs um, rightly concentrated on their members and guests. Um, so it, it's never been a more valuable time to be um, a golf club member, but there are quite a lot of golfers out there who just don't want to be a member. It doesn't fit with their circumstances and it doesn't fit with their lifestyles. And, and they obviously um, encapsulate a large number of the golfers that you would look at when you consider participation rates. So independent golfers has always been a, a sort of tricky situation. I understand that um, you are likely to push forward with a scheme this year that will grant independent golfers an official handicap. Just tell me a little bit about the background behind that scheme and why, why you feel like you need to do it. Yeah, I'll, I'll try to run through that. Again, another big topic, Steve. Um, obviously, um, as we, look at, as we look at last year and the new members that have come into our golf clubs, the majority of those new members have literally come from independent golfers. Golfers that either by choice or circumstance had decided that they didn't want to be or, or didn't, didn't or didn't want to, to join a golf club, but have found themselves without being able to get onto a golf course, so they needed some playing rights, so, that, so they've joined. But they have come from the independent golfer ranks, of, of which we believe there to be somewhere anywhere between you know, 1.2, 1.3 to 1.8 uh, million of them. So there is a multiple of them compared to membership. Um, so the difficult thing that I've walked into as I took the role over a year ago was, was I very quickly I came into this, this whole subject of, of independent golfer connectivity. And I have to admit that it's something I've never really understood. I don't understand why when England golf its role is to look after all amateur golfers, that it has no connectivity with independent golfers, with golfers who are not members of golf clubs. Um, of course, it's members of golf clubs who pay their affiliation fees to England golf, and quite rightly, we should look to prioritize them, and we do. But if we are to truly look after um, the health and well-being of our golf clubs, we need to make sure that we have members, that we inspire and educate on members um, from, 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 other, from other communities. And, the, and there's a huge community of independent golfers that we really must reach out to. Now, 
part of uh, the new world handicapping system, as that was launched in November, the RNA um, spoke to me about one about their core their core strategies and, and part of their core strategies that, that that they know happens is is of course is that when you give uh, anybody in any sport a measuring tool uh, with regard to their own ability, invariably it leads to them wanting to do that sport more, and the RNA is certainly there, and so therefore as part of the, the new world handicapping system they wanted to be they want uh, all golfers to be able to offered to be offered a handicap. And uh, that's something they spoke to me about this. They want to support England golf in that. And uh, certainly at the end of last year with our um, county stakeholders, we, we, we took a vote on, on whether or not we wanted as the governing body to be, to be the uh, continuous, the single handicapping authority with regards to all golfers in England. And that would mean uh, issuing uh, independent golfers, non-member uh, golfers with a, with a handicap. And uh, so we made that decision that we did want to, to remain the single authority. We made a decision that we were going to create a platform. And so now we are just beginning a collaborative stage of working with stakeholders, with other associations, um, with regards to what that model actually looks like. How can we create a national platform to connect with independent golfers, to offer them a handicap, which obviously is to uh, primarily is there to, 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 to inspire and educate on golf club membership and to inspire um, higher frequency of visiting golf clubs, of going and playing the game, and of course, uh, looking to inspire a, a, an additional spend or an a increased average spend. So we're, we're just going through that stage now of, of designing and creating uh, that business model and um, yeah, we hope to be able to roll that out uh, sometime in the first half of this year. One of the uh, difficulties with this subject in the past has been the fear among um, golf clubs that allowing independent golfers a handicap will effectively make non-membership more attractive. Do you, do you think that's still the case now, um, riding through the pandemic? And um, for those clubs that are still concerned, how can you reassure them about that? I don't honestly believe that uh, that it's a threat because ultimately when you look at it, why would a member who's enjoying their membership at a good golf club look to leave to then pay a fee to have a handicap and then have to pay green fees every time they play? Um, I've been playing golf for circa 47 years. I've never known anybody leave a good golf club. Um, I've known people leave a bad golf club, unfortunately, but I've never known anybody leave a good golf club. And I've certainly never known anybody join a golf club just to get a handicap. So for me, where, where I would go is, is that golf clubs need to continually, as, as they do, and we're going to look to help them, need to continually look at their, their value proposition of membership. And, um, and, and while they're doing that, what, we would, what we're going to intend, what we're going to do is to try to create a platform at a national level that as I say, prioritizes opportunities and options for golf clubs to be able to connect with these independent golfers, to be able to attract them in some way, whether that is just from to golf days, whether it's to be to use, the, use their facilities, they might be conference facilities or whatever or, or on site. It might be to invite them to play in competitions. It might be to invite them to play in their own club competitions. But either way, we want to be able to give all golf clubs that choice of whether or not they want to connect with that community of golfers. We've never done it in the past. And I think that it's 
a, not only a real shame, but I think we're not looking after our future well enough if we're not connecting with all golfers. And um, it is something that commercially, I'm sure you're aware of, Steve, is going on. Unofficial handicaps, you can go on the web and you can, you, you can get yourself an unofficial handicap. And there are charges made for that. All we're doing as the governing body is saying, why don't we do that? We go out there, create the connectivity, directly connect them with golf clubs, offer these opportunities and benefits. Any money that we earn from it, we're a not-for-profit organization. We intend to put straight back into the game. So hopefully there's a circle there that makes a lot of sense to everybody. And it's certainly something that I'm, I'm on call after call after call at the moment, just trying, to un, just, just trying to explain that to people and help them understand. And the majority of people, when we have that conversation, that they, 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 uh, they get it. Um, and I think they realize that, that we must, if we're going to look after our future, we must connect with all golfers to inspire and educate on golf club members. Previous um, loose proposals around this scheme attracted um, quite a lot of um, comment and criticism from some of the larger counties. Is the, are the negotiations this time a lot more collaborative? Uh, absolutely. And um, the, the decision that I spoke of that was made back in December was... Um, it wasn't a Jeremy Tomlinson decision or it was a decision that was made by our stakeholders and our stakeholders are the counties and we took a vote on um, whether we were going to actually uh, create a platform that was going to connect with independent golfers and the vote came out at 61 counties to one. Um, it was an overwhelming uh, vote with regards to, I believe, doing the right thing moving forward. Given uh, the idea of bringing a casual independent golfers into the fold, I mean, there's, there's an idea perhaps that um, if you can demonstrate increased participation, which you'd be able to clearly because you'd have much more registered golfers within, within your remit, that that might unlock some other funds for you, maybe lottery funding or agency funding and, and things like that. Is that a possibility? To be honest, Steve, I hadn't, I hadn't really thoughts along those lines the the um we have the most amazing support already from sport england which of course as you know that that money comes from from, from lottery funding and um they they very much uh if there's a mutual respect uh, that their respect for us comes from the fact of course that we're even up whether it's number four or number five largest sport in in england um and they want to they want to be there to support us so um no i I don't honestly believe it's a numbers game. This is, this is about connectivity and it's about doing the right thing. Um, well, why would you have a body such as ours not connecting mm. with as many participants as possible? That's, that's all it's really about, whether it was golf or any other sport. Why wouldn't, why wouldn't that body be looking to connect in the best possible way to inspire on the sport? And, and that's what we're trying to do. The fact that we can then utilize that to connect with golf clubs, um, like I said, I, we're going to keep talking to people. We're going to keep trying to, to help people understand that, that uh, the primary reason here, that they're good reasons. It's good to connect with these people because then we can inspire and then we can, we can hopefully influence them as well. And, and official handicaps, of course, Jeremy, have always been the preserve of golf club members. Are you quite excited about the possibility of a handicap being available to all? I am. And again, I think people... greater understanding of, of what uh, the world handicapping system you know I think I think everybody if they can take some time 
to fully understand it. And, and, and it comes back to the basics. It's all about your, your, your last 20 scores and your best eight, the average of your best eight to count. Now that's already been shown. Sweden, I think we're showing some numbers today. Canada have been showing numbers with regards to how they've rolled out the system and how rounds of play have increased and certainly more competitive rounds have increased. And that's all about driving avidness, getting away from, if you like, having that card in your hand, being that, oh my gosh, that nervous moment, that stressful thing, as opposed to actually having a card in your hand, maybe for some, every time you go out. Um, and, uh, and for others, driving you to go out even more because it's either gonna drive your improvement or, or actually deliver a better reflection of your true ability. So, you know, it is, it is very much linked, you know, as I say, to, to the World Handicap System and, and, and that whole ethos behind it of, of driving rounds of play, of, of helping people become more avid in, in our beloved sport. Well, moving on then to WHS, how, how tricky was it um, to implement that system this year? I mean, clearly you would have had uh, an education programme that um, was rolling around workshops and visits to clubs and things like that that clearly couldn't happen as a result of, um, of COVID. There's a huge amount of data that, that needed to be inputted. Um, and I mean, do you, do you think in, in, in hindsight that November probably came a little bit too soon? That's a really interesting question, Steve. And I think rather like a lot of things, I think with what we knew and the way that the year panned out, then we may have changed things. I'm certainly not going to say that we wouldn't, but obviously we had been educating golfers and golf clubs through 2019. We then came into last year, we rolled out a Know Your Score campaign that we further provided a suite of assets and tools with regard to trying to help people understand but obviously it's difficult and as we have such a fast moving life, a lot of people don't actually uh, take things on board. I, I don't, maybe you don't yourself, unless it's right there in front of you. So we sort of had this, if you like, this mad cram at, at, at the end um, as we came towards November, which was, um, as I say, we, we, you know, I think whatever date we put on it, that, that would have happened. But um, with regards to the November date, um, it had been a year of rollout of the world handicapping system. Other countries had been doing it all through the year. We were pretty much last. We picked November because it was the off season. We felt that that was right and appropriate. I still believe that that's right. Um, I couldn't be more proud of my team. We launched on November the 2nd with two months in. No question that the majority of clubs and the majority of golfers are in a good place. Could we have done things better? Of course we could. Uh, hindsight's a wonderful thing, but the handicapping system hadn't been changed for circa 100 years. And um, so, so there were things we were entering into un, you know, unfettered territory here. So there are things that we, we, we could have and should have done better. There are relationships that we, I wish were better, certainly with some of the software providers. That was always a bit of a shame. But I do think we still have a, a minority of cases of clubs and, and golfers that we're trying to look after now but we will get through them. And by the time the season is there, um, you know, I'm talking about whether that's Feb, whether March, April, we'd, we'd definitely begin to be in a very good place. We'll have some greater functionality with regards to my England golf app. And, and I really think we're, we're gonna see a lot more competitive rounds put in a lot more scores for handicap, and hopefully uh, more golfers in, enjoying themselves because 
they're going to have handicaps that really are a true reflection of their ability. Yeah, we, we've certainly seen that in Scotland, where uh, the system's been rolling um, pretty much untouched since uh, November. Has it been um, a slight disappointment in that respect, then, that we haven't been able to play golf? Because the off-season would have been the perfect time, wouldn't it, for us all to get used to this system and, and really then kick on in April and we're all sat at home kicking our heels? You're absolutely right. I mean, we did have a, re a real peak in, throughout December, um, I apologize, I don't have the exact figures there, but it, but it was, considering it was December, we had an incredible amount of scores that, that went through and it did give us a chance to test the system. The system worked fine. We don't have any worries on that. Um, but it, it would have been, um, I, I think what we're gonna look at again is by the time golf comes round, golf courses are gonna be full again. So again, the system is gonna be put under proper stress. Um, I believe that it's gonna be fine. Uh, it's going to work. So um, it, it, these are the cards that we're dealing with right now, Steve. So we're, we're going to be ready. It'll be fine. And I get the sense from what you're saying that you're a supporter of WHS. You you like the principle of it and, and particularly the, um, the accessibility for golfers in terms of going to other courses and putting in scores, general play scores, as and when they feel appropriate. I really do. I think that the old system, I think the old system worked well for a good many years. Unfortunately, um, it was flawed. It was flawed because when you have 1800 um, golf clubs with 1800 calculation hubs, as it was, you never actually seem to have a point of truth or, or a place of truth with regards to what is somebody's actual handicap. Is it at the golf club? Was it at centrally held on the CBH? So now we have a situation, of course, where we've gone from 1800 calculation hubs to one. And I believe that the integrity level of the handicapping system has been raised. That bar has been raised infinitely. Um, so I think that's really good. There's only one way of calculating handicaps. I think the other bit is, is fantastic with regards to general play. People can go and put in a supplementary card whenever they want, whenever they feel like it. We get away from some of this stigma about, you know, that, that only certain people with certain mindsets or certain ability you know, can, play, can put a good card in, if you like, in competitions. We're getting away from that. And I, I think that's really good. I think it's going to open up the game. I think it's going to relax the game. So, yeah, I'm a big fan. It's been a tumultuous first year in charge, I think. I was just looking back at the, at the background. It's been a year since you've officially started the job. I mean, I, I, I can't believe you would have thought back in January that as well as WHS to deal with, you would have had a full-scale pandemic. I mean, as, as we look for, into your second year, um, at the helm, are you looking forward with some optimism about um, what golf can do in 2021? Without a shadow of a doubt, um, the majority of 2020 has been has been about reacting. It's all it's also been about um, proactively looking to deliver the, the, the new handicapping system. We're proactively looking to to uh, to bring every golf club up to up up to a, a compliance level, a great level of safeguarding. Um, of um, safe golf, as, as, as we call it. So, so that's been some, some really good things. We're now in a process. We have a whole team of people. As I said, we haven't furloughed anybody because we're planning for, we, we would love 2021 to be a really, really successful year, for it to be a jam-packed year, full of golf, full of opportunity. So we have a whole team of people looking uh, to support golf clubs. We have a championships team looking to provide uh, in excess of 50 events 
We have our um, performance team looking to make sure our national team are in the best possible place. And obviously we have, we have our legal and governance teams trying to again, make sure that every golf club has the best possible support that they can have to get them to see themselves through the year. My fingers are crossed is, is that there's so many clubs that rely on F and D, uh, the food and beverage side of things that, that, that in some way, shape or form, we can find a safe way back for their return because that, you know, golf, and the socializing, they go so much hand in hand. So, so my fingers are, fingers are definitely crossed on that. But certainly anything and everything that England golf can do to support golf clubs, to support golfers, we want to do because we, want, we, we firmly believe that 2021 can be a great year for golf. We can look to retain so many of those new members and just keep our sport, keep our sport bubbling away and, and just keep, keep it being spoken of in, in, in a great way. Well, let's hope we are safely back on the course soon. Jeremy, thanks for joining me. Pleasure, Steve. Thank you for inviting me.